So we're going to read into this parable today, the parable of the unmerciful servant. And it's one of those where Jesus is you know, dropping this powerful uh, passage, and that is, if you want God's forgiveness in your life, it comes with this. You too must forgive others. Right. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast where we want you to learn and grow in your faith. Your journey of faith is something that you're on, whether you like it or not, and we want to be part of your growth. We want you to be thriving in your faith, not just Surviving. moseying along, yeah, thr surviving in your faith. And we want you to be growing. We want you to know what you believe and why you believe it, because that's one of the most important things about you. And we are joined today by the one, the only, Mr. Harvey Friesen, our, one of our, our executive pastor here at Foothills. And he's going to be getting some uh, Bible study with us today, and yeah. we're excited. So, yeah, good to Pastor be here. Harv, what are we who are we talking about? What parable? Well, remember, we're in the parables, and, and we're talking today about the parable of the unmerciful servant, our right. favorite parable of the Bible. I, you know, honestly, you, when I was in Bible college, there was a book called The Hard Sayings of Jesus. And you almost kind of go, well, is that basically like you're writing down everything he said? Because Jesus said hard things. Right. And in this, Jesus uses parables. And I think it's an important teaching model. Parables are a great way to teach hard things in a childlike kind of manner. Because mm. if you really think about it, a lot of those fairy tales and kid books and all like those things, what they do is they have monster themes, but they say it in a way that actually invites you into the story. And storytelling is very important in how actually life change occurs. There, there's actually a set of books on leadership that were all written as a story because it's better for people to be able to enter into a story sometimes. So we're going to read into this parable today, the parable of the unmerciful servant. And it's one of those where Jesus is you know, dropping this powerful uh, passage, and that is, if you want God's forgiveness in your life, it comes with this. You too must forgive others. Right. Well, let's get kicked off with it. You you want me to read, and then you can just kind of stop us when we get to sections that you want to. Oh, no, I, 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 maybe I can do that because then <laughs> I don't have to make you read my mind, which is uh, Shadley does a great job with it. But no, I'm kidding. All right, um, let's get it kicked yeah, off. Yeah. So at the time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who and this then, is Matthew 18. Yeah, this is 18. Matthew okay. 18. Sorry. And I'm going to start with verse 1. The teaching of the unmerciful servant actually starts at verse 21. Uh, but I want to give you a little bit of context to this. Okay. At the time his disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? The beginning of the unmerciful servant starts with human nature. And to understand human nature, you, you have to understand there is we all have an ego. Every one of us has an ego. There's uh, who we are. In fact, the, there, there's a lot of false thought around what that ego is, and a lot of it gets beat up a bit. And we're going to maybe talk about that today. I don't think God has anything wrong with us having an ego. What he wants is, is he wants our ego to be shaped by the heart of God and the truth of the Bible. And the truth of the Bible demonstrates the heart of God. So mm. Jesus gives us that teaching. Well, here, the first human nature thing we see is everyone's arguing out and say, who's the greatest? And our culture... Our culture is constantly trying to figure out who the greatest is. And then there, but here's human nature for you. There's this moment where when our culture, the moment we find out who the greatest is, we start comparing them to others. Oh, well, the only way we get to greatest is comparing to others. And then we begin to tear them down. Right. And, and, and it's this amazing human 
scenario where the moment someone gets to the top of the heap, we grab them by the leg and we jerk them down because we want them to come back to where we are. Right. And I love the fact that the disciples actually asked Jesus this question, who is the greatest? Well, then Jesus comes along and he said, he calls a child to him, places among them. And he says, truly, I say, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, let's remember our topic for the whole year is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, which interchangeable there. Slight nuances, but pretty close to interchangeable. Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. Um, and But in there, he says, you have to become like a little child. And, and what do little children, what are some characteristics of little children? Human nature here again. Yeah, children aren't grown uh, or, or aren't innately bigoted. Children aren't innately fearful. Children aren't innately... Uh, driven by those later constructs that come along. But children, though, do have one issue uh, that is sinful, and it's a sinful nature, and that is children are selfish. Mm -hmm. We all start out with the notion of self-preservation. And so there's an interesting thing. We always kind of aggrandize that. I've always kind of looked at it as the aggrandized side, right, when children are not are fearless, they're not bigoted, you know, they're, 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 they don't know what risk is, so they're adventurous. They're all those kinds of really cool things. Right. But but one thing that a child always has to do when we call when we go from a child to the word childish is a children are phenomenally self self centered. Yes. And it's the teachings and truth of God that come in. And parents, you guys know that one of the greatest things you're trying to figure out is how do I build a healthy self-worth into a child while at the same time not have them be self-driven in the notion of life is all about them. So Jesus starts that this whole set of parables are in context for us because Matthew 18 is that. Then we get to the unmerciful servant. So I'll jump right into that one. Okay. Um, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. And what you have to understand is culturally there was this notion, the Talmud, which is an extra biblical commentary, but there were different teachers that came out and said, well, how?" because people come along and go, how long do I have to forgive this person? And they came back and there was this sort of a general agreement of seven, you know, so perfect okay. number of God. And so Jesus responds, though, uh, and says, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. And it's not that he's actually doing math. It's that he's actually looking at him saying, God, stop counting, right? Right. The point is not how many times, the point is that you do forgive. Mm. Now, there is a little line that we ought to talk about here for just a moment because we're talking about human nature, and that is that we, we also are not called to be codependent. We're not here to enable people to live self-destructive lives, okay? And we always assume that that means, well, you know, someone's living a self-destructive life and we just should just keep on forgiving them. There's actually text in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, that says, let him who steals, steal no longer. And in that passage, what he's really saying is, there is, along with the component of forgiveness, the call to change those habits, those sins that are destructive to a life, okay? So this is a very, very uh, New Testament concept it's a extremely in the heart of God type of concept in that this is not some layered secondary 14th you know, position teaching. It is very straightforward. Forgiveness comes with the right to change. And what's the great story of the Bible that we think about? We, Jesus comes across a crowd. They've gathered a woman. Now to commit adultery, you have to have kind of like two people, two people involved. Right? But they grab the woman, the most susceptible, the most vulnerable, the one that they could control in that environment and in that culture. And 
so then G- they want to stone her and they ask Jesus about what to do here. And then he looks up and he blow. I mean, just blows their mind. He says, well, he who has not sinned, cast the first stone. Go ahead. Start throwing guys. If you're sinless, go ahead. Because what he was really saying was, is that the beginning of all judgment of all sin starts with us and God. It is a vertical component to go right, to become right with God. But then God's caveat is the moment I know I'm going to draw the cross. And you guys who are watching, you can see this is that, <laughs> is that the moment we get vertical forgiveness is the moment that God comes along and says, also practice horizontal forgiveness. Right. And that becomes the cross. And the only way I think we have the power to do that is, is the cross because the cross is this all encompassing. You really don't deserve to be forgiven mm. concept. It's, it's, it's the big dog sin environment that the cross comes into and he says now i'm going to forgive once for all everyone for everything but you have to ask for it right you have to ask for it right so 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 he comes in says seven times 70 so he says stop counting and then he goes into his parable and here's a parable therefore the kingdom of heaven is like and we've been doing this all along every one of these has started out with the kingdom of heaven is like it's like a king who wanted to settle accounts with a servant. If you notice something, Jesse, that's running through on the thread of all these parables, is that the parables that Jesus teaches always involve a greater and a lesser. Right, an owner and a right. worker, yeah, exactly. or a king and a servant, exactly. or whatever. Yeah, Exactly. There's always a hierarchical relationship. And one of the things we understand in the kingdom of God is, is that there is a hierarchical relationship. It's not a democracy. We don't vote out the the top dog and bring in the next dog. <laughs> right. Right. Well, we, ha- we have a king. He rules forever. They, they don't vote for kings. Okay. And so that's why the, the, the line is, may the king rule forever, which means prosperity, well-being to the king and all of us. So the, the, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle his accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Now, let's measure this for just a second, is that this is a picture of, of the book of Revelation. Because in, in, in the book of Revelation, you have the great white throne judgment of God, and in that, God will judge us for our actions. So there's a parable component to it's foreshadowing what will happen. Okay. Okay. So here's a guy that's got 10,000 bags of gold, uh, um, who owed that much money. And since he was not able to pay the master ordered that he and his wife and his children, and all that he had to be sold to repay the debt. Now notice this in this culture, slavery was a component of it. And when you went down to your final assets, the last thing left was you and your family. Right. And they looked at it in family units, which was a very significant thing. Interestingly enough is, is that there was this collaborative sense of the whole family is going to pay for it. And by the way, in our culture, when there's sin from a father or a mother, it's usually a whole family that pays for it. Right. There? Yep. Right. I mean, that's just how life works. And again, another sociological component um, at the at this, the servant fell on his knees before the, the king. Be patient with me. That's a very powerful phrase. Be patient with me and what he's saying is i need more time and there, there and time is an interesting piece in in and how we do forgiveness and we'll get back to it later when we get to ephesians 4 but timeliness of forgiveness is a very important part of forgiveness mm-hmm. and we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit because here's the deal is that is that unforgiven sin is like mold it just keeps growing and gets worse by the moment mm. okay so very important principle uh he fell on his knees said be patient with me he begged and i will pay back everything 
Now, that's an audacious statement because when you think about a person and 10,000 bags of gold, again, we're in a parable. Parables are filled with hyperbole. We're talking about an enormous amount of money, right? right? So 10,000 bags of gold. Doesn't say coins of gold. Right. So bags, bags of gold. I mean, in other words, this is a, 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 an astronomical amount. Mm. Something will never be paid back. And the guy, now this is interesting. The guy has the audacity to say, I'll pay it back. There's no way he's going to pay it back. Right. Okay, so we need to understand that. Servant's master took pity on him, canceled debt, let him go. Now, there, again, we have another picture. When God looks down on us, we kind of have a little bit, and, and I would, and I, look, we live in an American context. We live in American Christianity, churchianity, niceanity, whatever you want to call it. We live in this time frame where our, 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 our picture about all this is, is that, well, God, God loves me so much, he just ought to do that, right? I mean, God, you know, oh, I've heard it. God loves me, he forgives me, and Jesus died, and the guy with John 3.16 on his shirt and all that stuff. And we've almost gotten to the point like, yeah, okay, yeah, sure, whatever. Well, the, the, the truth of it is we are sinful human beings. We're truly sinful human beings, and we have a great disproportionate, disproportionate capacity to be even more sinful. And so when, when this happens, notice this, is that God's heart or the king's heart is so moved that he shows pity on this guy. And, and I think he shows pity because he realizes that 10,000 bags of gold, who knows if the king even had 10,000 bags right. of gold. This is a crazy sum, okay? So we get pity. And, and, and there, now that, that is a, uh, there's, a, there's a congruence here, and that is, is that God is willing to forgive us the biggest sins of our lives, too big for us to ever pay restitution for it. Like if somebody kills someone else, let's say someone commi- you know, violates one of the Ten Commandments and, and thou shalt not murder and they commit murder, and they do that murder, how, how do you actually repay someone for that? Right. You cannot make that person's life come back. All those other things are gone, right? Their life earnings are gone. Their life love is all gone. Their life's relationships are all gone. Their future children are all gone. Their children, maybe they already have, no longer now have this person in their life. You cannot repay these things, Mm -hmm. okay? And, And we have a, we live in a debt and credit society, and we have this kind of belief that, yeah, we'll get it all paid off someday. That's what this guy had, and he goes, I think the king had pity because he couldn't. We kind of feel that way about sin, right, Jesse? I mean, yeah. we realize our sin is that big. Yeah, I mean, you look at it and you're like, there's just no way, there's not enough things you could do in the life to, I mean, that's why the idea of this karmic balance thing is so kind of audacious. It's like, sure. just the amount of things you do in your life, there's no real way to pay back some of the stuff you do. Like, there right. isn't. It's, well, here's what we do as humans, human nature. Our sins are always just kind of, you know, it's not really that bad. It's not like I killed somebody. We always diminish the egregious value of our sins. So we put value to it. We we consider it smaller. And we always aggrandize the egregious value of others. Right. Right? Intents and actions, right? We judge a lot of people based on their actions, but we judge ourselves based on our intents. Yeah, I never meant for that to happen. Right. Yeah, I didn't mean that, but you assume that the other person did mean for that to happen, right? Like, and so there's a lot of... Bernie Madoff in the billions that he took, he never meant for anybody to get hurt. Right. Right? I mean, my intentions were were noble and good. I just ran out of people to steal money from, and so, you know, sorry, you guys are, you know, you're out of luck. Yeah. So, so, but now this, now this is the important part of the parable. 
the parable, I mean, we, I think we all kind of get, you know, God's forgiveness is massive and good, no matter how or who or what. I mean, even in the old Jewish Talmudic idea, you know, God's forgiveness was this monstrous, beautiful, big, audacious gift. But here's really, I think, the crux of it. But then that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. So let's go do 10,000 bags of gold, 100 silver coins. So not even a comparison. And notice this too, very important, is that what we owe God is the more worthy substance to begin with, mm-hmm. right? So we violate the holiness of God. We, invite, we When we have sin with each other, we're only, unvi- we're only violating the unholiness of each other. Mm-hmm. One exception. Sin against children is violating the gold of God, which is why Jesus says it would be better for you to tie a stone around your throat, throw yourself into the river, and drown your life and your own life than it would be to hurt a child. Why? Because when you hurt children, when there's the abuse of children, you are literally violating the holiness of God. And why is that? Because children still contain what? That innocence of God in their lives. Right. So this is a very important distinction. And law actually does that. Where is law creeping in our society today? This isn't the Thursday version, but this is definitely the Tuesday version. And that is law is creeping into and saying, you know, they're 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 not, you know, hurting kids too bad, right? And 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 past, you know, you guys have talked about that quite a bit. This was very important. He grabbed him, began to choke him. Now this is a very significant thing, and I think it's a piece of the parable. We tend to have this esoteric, you know, holy seeking of the forgiveness of God when we go vertical. When we get horizontal, we get rough. Right. We get rough. Mm-hmm. The guy goes, he grabbed him, began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. This is an interesting piece. We get real personal and real physical with other people, but we want God to be kind and gracious and good to us. Yes. But see, the reason why I like doing these Bible studies like this is it takes us into the granularity of this kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. right? Because you could just breeze past that and and not get that nuance, but that's so important. Well, a lot of times, guys, just a little tip and study on on a study and read the Bible. One of the things that we have kind of fallen into is is accomplishment reading as opposed to uh, ingrained reading. And accomplishment reading is I read through the chapter. Nothing wrong with reading through the chapter. But ingrained reading is the chapter is actually reading me. And what I do is a normal thing, and we teach this in a lot of our discipleship, is read into a text until you sense that God is speaking directly to you about something, Mm. right? And then you go, all right, wait, I need to go address this. So his fellow servant fell to his knees, and notice this, is that the human condition, whether it's vertical or horizontal, is always the same. Fall to a place of submission on his knees, beg him, be patient with me, and I will pay it back. Now, he uses, at least in the parable here, the same exact words. Um, but he refused. Instead, he went off and the man, had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Now, which is really kind of odd, too, because you go into prison, you're not making any money. Right, it's like, pay how it do you pay it off if you're yeah. locked up? <laughs> Those poor souls who are out in the prisons right now where they make 14 cents a minute, an hour, right? I mean, right. you're not paying off the debt. Um, and and what couple of points I think we want to see in this parable we want God to be gracious to us at an extraordinary level, and we really struggle to be gracious with people at very small levels. Mm. If you think about it, a lot of the chuff we feel with people is usually over small stuff, not large stuff. They just irritate us. They bug us. We are, they annoy us, right? I mean, there are some people that do some really pretty big things. You know what I've noticed, too, is there's a third component that's kind of normative to our model today, and that is 
what we do is we like to go and talk with other people about how other people have offended us. And what we're always trying to do in that conversation is ratchet up the offense. Mm. Well, you know, this isn't the first time. And then when they did this with Joe, well, then they were with Susan. And so all of a sudden we start building a case. Right. Okay. And we start building a case. And I actually want to jump into a teaching on the building of a case that we have that's important to this. Now, remember, I mean, this Bible study is today is not exhaustive because we're going to get preaching on this on Sunday morning. Okay. But I want to, uh, there's still some more in this, in this thing. And I, well, let me finish this part. So th- there's a next thing that happens after he does this in verse 31, when the other servants saw what had happened, here's a very important social dynamic. Everybody sees what goes on on the horizontal level. Everybody's watching you. Everybody's watching your life. If you're a follower of Christ, they're watching you even more. If you're a pastor who's a follower of Christ, they're watching you more, more, more. And they're watching your kids more and more and more and more. Right? And and this is a powerful thing about the fishbowl of pastoral life. And it's also a powerful thing about the fishbowl of Christian life. People are watching our lives. In the story, somebody else watched what was happened. They were outraged. They went and they told their master everything that had happened. They went back to God in this scenario or to the king in this scenario, but really it represents God. And they went back to God and they said, this guy is egregious. This guy's egregious. And the master called the servant in, you wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Here is the crux, Jesse, is that God expects that what happens between us and him in the vertical will end up with us and others in the horizontal. That's the expectation of God. He expects that we will be changed by the mercy he has dripped down onto us so that we can now then dispense the mercy to others. Again, now this, this, this goes back to the parable, the teaching that we did this last time. And that is, is if you remember, the, 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 the Abrahamic covenant was given to the Jews, and that was they were to hear that God is an atoning, forgiving, blessed God who cares for you, forgives you of your sins, and has eternity waiting for you and wants and desires a relationship with you. And what they do, they went, ah, oh, it's really great, God. We really love it. We're just going to keep it to ourselves, mm-hmm. right? And and this parable comes along. Remember who he'd be talking to? Scribes, Pharisees, and other people, religious zealots, right? Ones who were like, we've got to write with God. Remember, he teaches those parables like the Good Samaritan on Pastor Doug, you know, we've talked about all those things. In this scenario, he comes back and he says, you're a wicked servant. He says, I expected you to have mercy on, your fellow, on, on others. And then in anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. In other words, God now beats him. Right. Or the king, I should say the king, the king. beats him. Yeah. I don't know if God beats us, but God definitely allows us to have consequences to our actions, which end up beating us, right? Mm-hmm. A little line I would just say to us is when we break God's laws, the repercussions break us. It's a harvest. I'm going to love that. Yeah. So you jump off of, you know, gravity still works, right? I drop this, it splats, right? right. When, uh, tr- you know, take something, drop it off the, the side of the desk, I could hope it levitates the whole time, but I'm pretty good sure thought <laughs> it's, it's going to fall, not. right? Exactly. Why do we think that we get away with that? It's because God is merciful. But God says, the only way you'll actually really, really get, maybe this is the big home, you know, hit at home point. The only way that I know you actually get mercy is you give mercy. Mm. See, this is hard. This is a hard thing for us. If we get mercy, we're called to give mercy, and therein lies the struggle. I don't necessarily want to do it. I, there's a. I want to pull out a, another piece here, real quick. I want to go back to the, the beginning of that uh, when when 
Matthew 18 starts out with Jesse. Remember, they were having an argument over who was the greatest? Yes. Got to love that the Bible actually is showing the humanity of the disciples. Right. Right? There were not halos around yeah. them in the Bible. They weren't they, perfect. They, yeah, exactly. All the churches in, in Europe now have people with halos around them. They didn't have halos when they were in the Bible. Okay? Right. They were what? Sinners like the rest of us, and they've gone on to be with God, right? Praise God for his forgiveness has poured out over them. But but there's Mount Mark actually gives a little bit more granularity on this text okay. about who they were arguing about. It says in Mark chapter 9, verse 33, they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, Jesus asked the disciples, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Now, this is really great because it gives a little bit better picture. It wasn't just that they were asking Jesus who was the greatest. They had argued. They weren't just asking Jesus who was the greatest. They argued with each other about who Mm. was the greatest, and we do that all the time. Uh, there's a there's a really good great, great saying by Richard Foster. He he makes this contention, and the contention he says is when you get into a room, oftentimes humility kind of is a part of the human condition, and most of us, not the true narcissist, but the most of us, look around the room and we don't start wondering who's the greatest. Society almost tells you who's the greatest. What they want to make sure of is that we're not the least. Mm. And if we sense that we are the least in a room, what he says is this. This author says is. We excuse ourselves from that room. Now, that's a very interesting picture. Jesus says the last shall be first and the first shall be last. So normatively, in the model that's just the new normal human condition, we excuse ourselves from the rooms, and Jesus says, no, that, that, that person is actually the greatest, and they have value and they have worth. Uh, sitting down, Jesus called the disciples and said, anyone who wants to be first must be last and the servant of all. This is very important. When I get mercy... The first servanthood that I can give to others is, is I can serve them by giving them mercy. Okay. There's, um, there's a, there's a, I also believe that when we study the Bible, we ought to ask, okay, what if we don't do that? What does it look like? And of course the Bible gives teaching that Ephesians chapter four is, is here, here's what happens. One Lord, one faith, one hope, one calling, one baptism, one God who's in all and above all and through all. Ephesians chapter 4, that's the start of it. And God's saying, I'm establishing the church. And he sets up apostles, pastors, prophets, evangelists, teachers for the building up of the body of Christ, right? That those offices, those leadership roles build the body of Christ so that they go do the work of the body of Christ. And then the first teaching that goes into after he establishes the church, conflict resolution. (laughs) Conflict resolution. Because why? Because God knows that on a horizontal plane, we're always going to have disputes. Right. And so... In that, Ephesians chapter 4, let me, let me do the teaser, drop it out at the end. He finishes the chapter with verse 32, and, it's, and it says in verse 32, um, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, comma, great big pause of eternity, be kind and compassionate uh, to one another, forgiving each other, and how? Uh, just as God forgave you. Mm. So he's saying, how should we do things on a horizontal plane? Well, take a picture of looking up. And then he says, if you don't, verse 31 of Ephesians 4, he says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and along with every other form of malice. I, I, I do this with premarital couples before we're doing it, when we do premarital prep. And here, here's what I would say, is that those six things are actually a progression of societal woe when we don't practice mercy on the horizontal level. The first thing that happens is there's malice. What's the Latin word or the root for, for bad in the Spanish language? It's mal. All, All right, yeah. it's bad, malice. So he says one, the first thing you have if you don't practice mercy is you have bad. 
bad. Then the second thing you have is you, when you don't have bad, remember I said you build your case, so you have slander. So it says mm-hmm. slander. Uh, when you build your clay, case with slander, then the next thing you, you do is you clamor, right? There's another word for brawling there is clamor. So, so put it out like this. Bad things are happening. We get people to be on our side, and then we clamor. If I had the whole time during the podcast been doing this, you would have tuned out because people would have said, stop, you're driving me crazy. Here's what we do when there are bad things and we're slanderous things. What we do is we create environments to show people that other people are truly mean and bad people. Mm. So we create clamor. Now, he, now, so those are the first three, three progressions here. Are the next three is that you going back is that we do anger. So we do anger, bitterness, uh, anger, rage, and bitterness. So you have all five and six, uh, six of those now. And what do those last three look like? Anger is the word for, in the Greek, the spontaneous combustion of your temper, okay? Wrath is, I'm no longer temper-filled. I am plotting out my entire revenge. First degree, second degree. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this when you're going to jail for this long, this when you're going to jail for this long, right? right? So let's do it again. Malice leads to slander. Slander leads to clamor. Clamor leads to anger, combustible anger, temper. Anger leads to wrath because because here's what happens. On the horizontal level, without mercy, we never, ever have harmony in relationships. Mm. There's no other way to do it. Right. Without mercy, there are moments where we just have to dispense mercy. We go, you know what? I forgive you. We move on. Right? So, And then if you don't do that, the last word, right? Those five, bitterness. Mm. Bitterness. The Bible is so beautifully descriptive. He looks at the unmerciful servant. He says, I will dispense to you all you need, 10,000 bags of gold. Just forgive somebody 100 coins of silver. Right. It's a good, it's a, it's a good, and, and if you want, and we want beautiful harmony, relationship and good, we will learn the mathematical equation that God forgave us of the, that which we could never repay. So we could now demonstrate it among the smaller things to keep harmony, peace, good, and well-being among people. Amen. Word of God. Thank you so much, Pastor, for doing such an amazing exegesis on these um, passages. And I'm sure there's so much more we could unpack, but unfortunately, we only have 30 minutes today, but we do have Sunday to unpack that some more. And then Thursday, we're going to dive into some of this as well. So we do have, that's the benefit of this podcast is we can go a lot deeper than we can in just a 30 minute sermon on Sunday or just a 30 minute podcast. We get an hour and a half of real deep learning on these passages. And I think that's an amazing blessing that we're all blessed by you and Pastor Doug for sharing with us. So thank you so much for making time to join us today. Thank you guys for joining us and uh, make sure you're subscribing to the new Salty Pastor YouTube channel. Um, We are making space for both channels to have a place to live and, and thrive on their own. So we're excited for that. And we will see you on Thursday here on the Salty Pastor podcast.